All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Well now folks, I think this is the greatest hound that the Lee brothers has ever owned. And I'm and I think myself that he was the greatest hound that I have ever seen of of my, of our own or anybody else's. Uh, the and I'm gonna kind of tell you the story of old Pilot's life. Well, when when uh, Queen Pilot's mother, I think she had eight in that litter. Well, of course I went and looked at her just after she had had the pups, and they were. Two or three solid reds in there, and uh, and two or three brindles. Well, there was only three red ticks, and one of them was a a male and two females. Well, before it was over with, she killed the little red red tick female, and Queen wasn't really a good mother because she really ate two of those pups. We know she ate them because we found the ends of the tail iron where she had the others. And it's a wonder she hadn't killed the rest of them. Well, just two days before that, I had a little female, a little smoky-colored female that had been bred to blue. And so she had was bred two days before Queen was. And she was a young female, and she had pups two days before Queen did. Well, I went over and looked at Queen's pups, and oh boy, that little red tick male really did catch my eye. And all I wanted him. Of course, he belonged to Ernest, our oldest brother. And I was just, I was 17 years old then. And uh, I didn't mention it to him for a few days, but... I finally said, well, Ernest, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the pick of my litter if you'll let me have the pick of this litter here out of old Queen and Bull. Well, he said, no, I don't think I want to do that. Well, I pestered him. So doggone much in the next week, couple of weeks, that he finally says, well, to keep you from pestering me anymore, I'll do that. So boy, I runs out and I picks old Pilot up out of that bunch and I hadn't even named him. And he said, well, he looks like he's going to be such a swift dog. Says, why don't you name him Pilot? I said, well, that sounds like a good name for him. I said, I'll call him Pilot. So I hurried over home with him, which is about three or 400 yards, I guess, and, and gave him to Smokey that had this, she had five pups. And it's a wonder she hadn't hurt him, but she didn't. She took him right with hers. 
And I left him there a few days, and I didn't think he was doing as good as he ought to. So I took him and took him back over to his mother. And it's a wonder of me wagging him around and fooling with him when he was a little that I hadn't killed him. <clears throat> but anyway, then, when he was about, oh, I'd, I think around three months old, I got a job with the Forest Service. Now, Pilot was born in March. Well, May, June, I think I went over there at the last of June. See, this is in, in, we went into camp, working trail. Well, it was my job to keep water supplied to all the trail workers. It was a big string of them working trail. And they were making these trails with uh, axes and, and uh, mattocks and shovels and all that. So I'd go up and down that stringer of workers with a burrow I had, and I rode another burrow and packed water. Well, that was my job. So I took Pilot a little later on in Smokey, the female that had my litter after she had weaned him, into camp. And so, of course, Pilot, little old pup, he'd just run around camp there. And it was comical then. Then after work of an evening, well, I would take Pilot down below camp a little ways, and it was kind of in a creek and then mostly down in the oaks. Most of the growth was oak trees, and there's from bushes to trees. And when he could just could stay up with me on a walk, well, I'd run off from him. And then I would make all kinds of circles and jump over rocks, and, and then I would hide and get up somewhere where I could watch him. And he'd go along just as fast as he could, and he'd stick his nose down in my track and raise his head and bawl. And uh, if I just sat there, no matter how long it took him, he'd finally find me if I was on a rock or if I was in a tree or wherever I was. Well, he'd find me, and then, of course, he'd just jump around and, and wiggle all over and wiggle his tail and just tickle him to death. And so I'd get down then and walk along right slow with him to where he could keep up and let him rest a little bit, and then I'd run off from him. Well, I'd spend... Probably a couple of hours, nearly ever, every evening, doing that. And so, uh, finally, one day, while we, just as we left camp, while we heard the cook holler at pilot, and we come in that afternoon, and uh, one of the bullies of the country there, that was, I think, four years older than I was, and he was big, and he was had 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 many a fight fist fight, and he was a probably 185-pound man. An old pilot had seen one of his silk dress shirts hanging on a barbed wire fence, so he run out and grabbed the sleeve and was uh, playing with it and tore a big hole in this new silk shirt. He'd only wore it once. Well, when he come in and found that shirt, and he was pretty mean and noted as the battler of one of the main battlers of that country. Oh, he is mad. He said, I'm going to kick that little old dog up from off into that canyon. And uh, they called him Slim McGinney, but he was anything but Slim because he is wide-shouldered and a big man. And I said, well, you be you kick me first because you're going to have to if you kick that little old pup. 
Well, I had a brother Barney there. He was wasn't no little puny guy. He was about six two and broad shouldered, and was as heavy and as big as and heavy as that McGinney, maybe a little heavier. And he said, "No, Slim says I don't think you're going to kick him off into that canyon, or I don't think you're going to kick that pup." Well, now Clell and this bully had already run together. They had already had one of the doggondest fights that you ever saw about six, eight months before that at a dance. Clell was working in the mines at Hilltop. And so at Rodeo, they had this big public dance. And so a bunch of the miners went down to this dance. And this Slim McGinney come to the dance and brought a girl with, her, with him. Well, Clell was a dancing with that girl quite a little during the dance. And McGinney didn't like that. So after the dance was over with, well, they were standing out in the middle of the floor and Clell walked out there to tell this girl good night. And her and old Slim McGinney are standing there. And old Slim kind of grabbed that girl by the arm and jerked her in behind him. And they kind of rough on the gal. So old Clell just stepped around kind of behind him and grabbed her by the other arm and jerked her out in front of him. And old Slim said, listen, says, I suppose you'd like to see me on the outside. Clell said, well, I'll just see you anywhere that you want to see me. Oh, all right, it's going to go outside. Well, Clell hadn't had very many fist fights. So he walked down, and it was in the wintertime, and so he walked down to the door and started to had a nice shirt and vest on and I mean, nice coat. Started to take that coat off, and just as he... Just as he got it off, kind of over his arms, taking it off, old McGinney run down that hall and just slid and hit him right square in the kisser. Go walk. And Clell went way over into the corner, and he kind of covered up. And McGinney jumped over there and cocked her back to give him the coop de grace. And Clell had done a lot of boxing, and he come out of there and, and hit McGinney right in the point of the chin. And he hit away out in that floor, and Clell hit right on top of him. And boy, the battle is on. Then they was up and down and all around there, and people are scattering and women are screaming, and somebody sent for the law. So finally, well, they said the laws are coming. So they jumped up and left, and old McGinney said, well, we'll finish this the next time we meet. And Clell said, I'll be ready. So... When they brought Clell home to paradise, that guy had bit him. And all he had beat up. Now, what I mean, his face was beat bad. And his, uh, he, he had bit Clell, plumb to the skull in three different places. And right out of, take plugs right out of his head. I think he was trying to get a hold of his ear. But he never did get a hold of his ear. If he had to be, he chewed it off. And one of these miners is standing there. And oh, he got mad. When he saw this biting going on, said, come on, boys, let's kick out his teeth. Says, he, this is a bulldog. But nobody, McGinney's friends or Clell's friends, neither one of them done a thing or had anything to do with it. Because if it had ever started, there'd have been a big gang fight there. Because there's quite a few on each side. So then about three or four months after that, well, we had a big public dance at Paradise. Big hall. It was probably... 40, 50 feet long and probably 
30 feet wide. Oh, lots of people. So McGinney come up there, and he brought this same girl with him. So a little while after the dance uh, dance got started, well, old McGinney was going to show what a great man he was. So he just stepped out in the middle of the floor and just squalled right loud. And Clell was sitting down over a, in a chair with our talking to somebody, and I was there that night. And I and he Clell jumped up and walked out there to him and walked up. He says, listen, Slim, says the last time we was together, says we got out there and tried our main strength and awkwardness. And he said, if you want to try her again right here in the middle of this floor, you just run back your head and squall, because I can tell you one thing, we'll start right here. Well, now that McGinney didn't want to fight him, and he never fought him anymore, and he didn't want to. And he said, no, Clell says, I'm not going to holler anymore. Well, old Clell said, well, if you do, we're going to have a battle. So that was after that that he's going to kick me and my pup off into that canyon. But I didn't figure he could because Barney was there. And he'd had quite, he was quite a battler, too, when it comes to your fist. So that caused me to have to take really take Pilot home, though, because it, he got to swiping these guys' shoes and socks at night and carrying them off, and he was causing too much trouble, so I, I had to take him home. But that started the greatest dog, greatest hound that I've ever seen. And one time when he was about six, eight months old, somewhere in that neighborhood, Clell and I was over in a camp, and we were doing a little hunting and also some trapping. And we had some of our hounds there, and we had pilot in the bunch. And one night, kind of out of our little horse trap that we had there, this saddle horse got out. And uh, we didn't have any more horses right there to go after him on. Well, I grabbed a, this horse and went back towards home, naturally, which is way across the mountain. So I went and got me a bridle and, uh, and a morale. Well, a morale's a nose bag that you feed grain in. And that horse is gentle, and I knew good and well that I could catch him if I could overtake him with that morale and ride him back bareback. So away I went. Well, this for a ways, there's a, an old road going up this canyon from where we is camped and went back there to some old cabins where they'd had some been mining up in there, and then an old feller Leo for many years back in there had him an orchard and all. So this horse would go go along this road and graze, and every once in a while, well, he'd make a circle up on the hillside, grazing around, and then come back and hit the road, and then leave it again, a feeding. It was good grass. An old pilot went with me. He is a loose around there, so away we went, and he got to fooling around, smelling around, and uh, so I thought. Well, boy, that'd be quite a stunt if I could get old Pilot to trade in that horse. So I kept fooling with him and hissing him, and he already knew what hissing meant. And he finally figured out that I was uh, trailing that horse, so he went to trailing him. Now, he wouldn't try to run off and leave me. He'd trail along and stay out in front of me and watch me, and he'd smell of that horse's track and raise his head and bawl. 
Now, he had a beautiful voice on him and a real good, long, drawn-out bawl, but he had to raise his head every time he barked. He couldn't just bawl right into the ground. And after a while, well, the horse left the road and, and went way up on the hillside and was a feeding around, kind of circling around, and old Pilot left on, out of there bawling on his tracks. And then I seen Pilot quite a ways before he got to the horse, and I seen the horse, and I was climbing up there to him, and old Pilot trailed right up to that horse, and all he acted comical, kind of like he did when he trailed me up his little old puppy. He run around that horse and wiggled his tail and just tickled to death, and when that horse saw me a-coming with that morale, and he knew I was going to have him some grain, well, here he come, and I just put the morale on him and let him eat a little while. And then I took the morale off and put my bridle on him and jumped on him horseback and went back. Well, now, that's the only time that I ever tried to make Pilot trail anything like that, any horse or anything. And I never did try to make him trail a cow or anything. It was always strictly game. Well, now, this is another thing that I've seen Pilot do. When he was trailing a real cold track of a line, and he knew pretty well that this line stepped on a rock, I have seen him lick that rock and uh, lick it a while and then smell of it and then ball. Now, I think he was licking that rock to put a little moisture in there to bring out that scent so he could smell it. Well, now, Pilot was. Fifteen months old, I believe. Fifteen, sixteen, when uh, Clay and I took our first government job, the old biological survey for the state of New Mexico. Now, I had just finished high school, and I was 18. And then Clay was three years older, so that had made him 21. And so they gave us a job. And here's how it was. Those line hunters up in there was allowed, each one of them was allowed a helper to take care of camp, help move, and do anything that was to be done. And so I was Clell's helper. And in them days, he was getting $125 a month. And uh, we did have our dog feed furnished. And then I, as I remembered, I think they, they gave us so much for horse feed. And they gave me $35 a month. Well, I took, did take care of camp a lot, and I, and I done a, and I hunted with Clell a lot too. But anyway, we, after we went on the job, we caught our first line the first 11 days. The 11th day was camped in those Daddle Mountains up close to Magdalena, New Mexico. And we, Made a big circle that day, and we hit the tracks of this big line and trailed him just a little ways, and he had caught a a, a good-sized calf. And he put drug this calf and took it through a fence. Well, we saw why he drug him through, and, of course, the dogs trailed on up their ways and found this, found this kill. Well, we had to take the fence down and get across get across it, and then put it back up. It took us a little while. 
and by the time we got up there to that keel, well, those dogs was quite a ways up there, going up into some bluffs on a big ridge up there. Well, they jumped this line and brought it off there and treated it. And, of course, we were real thrilled. That was a, a good big line the first 11 days of hunting. And uh, the line weren't too many in that country. So we packed him into camp and gutted him. And his, that was real late in the evening. So we hung him up at camp. Well, we had always heard about the scream of the mountain lion or the panther, or cougars they're called in different places. And after we'd eaten supper there, and the uh, hounds, was, we'd been a-traveling them hard, and they were laying there asleep. We'd fed them and our horses before we ever got us something to eat. And we figured on skinning this lion instead of skinning him in the dark, skinning him the next day, and uh, sitting around the campfire. And this was in June, warm weather. You know, looking at that line out there and talking about him and by the campfire light, hanging up, hanging up in this tree. And we did hear quite a noise floated up from kind of down country. And uh, boy, we didn't know what it was unless it was the squall of a mountain lion. Well, our dogs heard it and they jumped up and bawled. And we just jumped up from there and grabbed, we did have a couple of flashlights, and we grabbed those flashlights and a gun apiece, and down we went with these hounds. Well, we went down there a good long ways and circled all around and never picked up a thing. And so a few days after that then, we found a big forest fire. So I rode in way back, into a ranch there, the first place I could get to that had a telephone, and it was way in the night when I got there, and we phoned, phoned to the fire service reporting this fire spar, and Clell was there in camp, and uh, he he hunted the next day. Of course, I wasn't there to go with him, and he went on and hunted. Well, he told me then. He said, "Now I don't know just what that is." And this is some kind of a bird or something, because he says, I heard that thing again last night. And he said, I know it's not a mountain lion, because I cut all in there of where I thought the, the noise came from. And I didn't pick up a thing. And I know good and well that it wasn't a mountain lion. Well, I've never heard that that noise for sure since. But lions make quite a few different noises, because I have caged them up and listened at them. Now, if they're a calling to one another, that their calling noise, it don't no more sound like a cat like that than a man in the moon. Now, I can't just exactly imitate it with my mouth, but I can give you a little uh, hint of what it, it sounds like. Now, it'll go... And I've heard them do that. Lines calling to one another when you'd have them in cages right close together and they couldn't hear one another. And uh, and the kittens will do that when they're trying to call to their mother or, or if they're trying to call to one another. But then the old female, 
She will make a yelling noise that you can hear at night a good long ways, just like you'll hear house cats a yelling around. Well, this female will do that, but you won't. You you would call it a yell. You wouldn't call it any scream, like a woman in distress or something like that. And I've heard this yelling noise from captive lions quite often. Well, Herschel Downs and his wife, which is a, a rancher that lived below Clell for years and years, he's still living at the same place. He and his wife were up on on that white mountain one day, and and some of their cattle had got off on another fellow's range. So they had dropped off in there in a the big canyon called Fish Creek and was driving these cows up to put them through on their range, and they had eight or ten cows. And as they rode up this big canyon, well, it was kind of open in there, but these ridges were pretty steep, and they were heavily timbered. They had spruce and pine and fir and big trees. And they kept hearing this bird up on this hill as they, as they drove those cattle up there. And uh, they, thought it was, they thought it was a hawk, make that kind of that fluttering noise and a whistle, and that was their calling noise from one to another. And when they got up there right opposite to where this bird is up on this hill, it had just made that noise up there just a little bit before, and they had a little shepherd cow dog with them that they used on cattle. And this little old shepherd raised his head up and, and winded and smelled up that, and boy, he just shot out of there just as fast as he could run. And up into that timber and up that ridge he went, and of course got out of our sight in just a little bit, and Herschel's wife laughed and said, uh, boy, Herschel says, you really got a good cow dog in that one. Says he's even running birds. And it w was just a little bit after that, that off the mountain here come a line, and it was a really a running. And it was just a fire-sized male line. No, a, a fire-sized female, not wasn't a male. A good-sized, grown female line. And this little old dog was right building right at it. And it run up a tree, and them right there in front of them, and them were looking at it. So they rode up there and looked at that line, and old Herschel says, you know, says that, Bird has got one of the longest tails that I ever saw on a bird. Of course, a, a, a lion's tail's around somewhere around 36 inches long. And they neither neither one of them had any sign of a gun. And they sure wasn't going to leave that thing amongst those cattle. So Herschel says, well, now listen, Ramona. Says, you go back to that camp. that They had a camp up there. And... Uh, and they had a rifle there. He said, you go back to that camp and get that gun while I stay here with old Happy. That's what they call the little cow dog. Old Happy in this line. And says, it's going to take you quite a while. Because says, it's about three or four miles to that camp. So she left there riding about as fast as she could and for a horse to last. And in the meantime, well, this lion jumped out again, jumped out of one more tree, and old Happy treated again, and not very far. She got back there with the rifle, 
and they killed him. Now, if that hadn't happened, they would have never given it a thought. And they they just went on and thought the rest of their lives that that was some kind of a bird. And they thought it was a hawk. Well, I kind of got off a of course here, but this goes back to old pilot then. Well, we 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 kept on hunting for the government, and they kept a old biological survey, and they kept moving us around from here to there. And uh, we kind of had a crew to fire there from a, an old fellow there at Daddle, old Ray Morley, which is quite a character. We got a couple of little uh, small mules from him. And then from another fellow, well, we got a, a wagon and some harness. And then from a cousin of ours, we got a horse. So we had three saddle animals. We had three saddle animals. So the way we'd move through the country in them days, when and we had them stripped down model, uh, model T forward, stripped down. Well, I was Clell's helper, so he would have me drive the wagon, and this shows you how primitive that country was there then. I would drive the wagon and wouldn't and uh, would let the dogs follow most of the time. Once in a while, I'd have them on the wagon, but most of the times they'd be a, a, a following, and I never got a dog run over on on the road by any automobile or anything. And that's the way we'd move through the country. Old Clell had gone in this Model T Ford, and of course he'd have to stop. And every ranch he'd stop, he'd visit and wait for me, and we'd travel till dark, and then stop and feed her dogs and saddle animals and get something to eat for herself, and then we'd go on. Well, of course, moving quite a distance, it, it'd take us quite a few days to do it. But that's the way we went through the country quite a lot up there for the first few months we was hunting for the biological survey and then and that's the way we were uh, hunting and moving camp when uh three of our three of our brothers and one fella came to to our camp to visit us a while and do some hunting and when that fellow shot my brother and then we quit and went home well that's the way we was going through the country well, now, this old pilot was, um, he had a great personality. And he liked anybody that would hunt, that would take him a hunting. And he would honestly hunt for a total stranger just as good as he would for us. And that was one of his faults if he had any. Now, one day up there, we were uh, a hunting, and there was a cowboy riding in there, and Pilot was up in front of us and out of sight, and he picked up this cowboy's tracks and trailed him up and uh, went right to hunting for him. And we finally found him way back there three hours later. And old Pilot is out there in front of him just to hunting, and uh, that that aggravated us. We asked him where he come to him, and he told us, and he said, I didn't know whose dog he was. I don't think in those days you even had name plates to put on your collars. As I remember, we didn't have any. And uh, he said he trailed him up and come up behind him and then just went to hunting. And he said, I didn't even know what he was hunting for, but says he's really been hunting. So we took him and went on. But 
Now, this is the difference in dogs. One of his full litter mates was the meanest hound to bite of any hound that I've ever seen. And he would bite anybody, kids, grown people, or anybody else that got up close to him, but is the fellows that is handling him. So we eventually sold that dog because he bit several people, and uh, and he hurt some of them. And we sold him into Oregon. Well, after he'd been in Oregon up there for about a year, well, I went up there. And uh, this Ted Arsner, this Oregon government hunter, wasn't doing so good, so I got a call from him, and he wanted me to come up there and help him for a while. And, and so I did. And this fellow that had bought this brindle hound that was Pilot's litter mate, uh, he would be called a light brindle, had bought Sounder. And so he comes to see me, and he had him tied in the back end of a, of a touring car and had him to get tied so short he could, just bar, he could just stand up. So, and this is kind of the memory of a dog. I walked out there to look at him, and I said, well, hello, Sounder. How in the world are you? And I started to reach in there and pet him, and that fellow said, look out, look out, says he'll take your hand off. And I said, well, I helped raise that dog, and I helped train him. And I said, that dog hasn't forgotten me in no year. Oh, he says, I'll bet he has. says, I'll bet he bite you. I said, well, I'll make you a bet on it. Well, we didn't bet anything. But anyway, well, I just spoke to him, and old Sounder knew me by my voice. And I just reached in there and, and petted him and, and rubbed my hand up and down his head and, and uh, scratched his ears, and all he would just wiggle that tail, and he just bawled and bellered. I wanted to get out of there. And I told that old boy, I said, I'll just bet you that you can turn that dog out. And you walk one way and I'll walk the other. And I'll bet you that he'll go with me instead of you. And you've had him a year. Well, he said, the way he acts, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take you up on that bet because says, I believe he would too now. But he said, I never thought a dog would have that good a memory. I said, well, they got a whole lot better memory than that. And they can remember a person for a whole lot longer than that. No telling how long they can remember a person. Well, now, Clell and I had been up there about a year before that and hunted there some in Oregon with this Fred Arsner. And purposely, we'd caught some bear. Well, we went there to Diamond uh, Rock Lodge, and it was built right on a big diamond lake that was a great resort and lots of fishing done there. And out at their garbage dump, well, there was bear coming into this garbage dump. And uh, old Ted said, I'd like to get out here and catch a bear. And I said, well, Ted, I don't care about running bear. He said, well, let's catch one. And so an old boy there had a string of horses. But we didn't take any horses. We all went afoot. And there was Clell, and then there was Duke Bennell, one of our, our oldest brother's brother-in-law. He was a young fellow that was with us, and then myself, and an old fellow by the name of Ernie Riddle, 
that was a cousin of Fred Arsner's, and he was then a man about 65 years old and had real narrow shoulders and all bent over, and he had some kind of a palsy or something, and when he'd walk, well, his head would dawdle, and he didn't look like that he could get 100 yards and back. So when this, and I laughed, it was kind of comical, but I was also mad because it got pilot hurt. Well, when those dogs lined out this bar race, well, it is a pretty long race. And they finally treed, and the old Ted Arsner's with me, and this fellow that owned these horses is with Fell and Duke uh, Bendel, and I've forgotten this fellow's name, that organ guy's name. Well, anyway, he give out. And uh, Fred Arsner and, and myself and Fell and Duke, we all got to the tree, and old Ernie Riddle, we'd heard him a shooting. And he'd already got there, and he shot the bear, and the bear come out wounded, and bit old Pilot right up through the throat, and, I, and even split his tongue on the inside. And it hurt him, but it didn't hurt him to where he didn't get over it pretty fast. But And then we were mad at old Ernie, but then afterwards it was comical, because that old feller outrun the whole works, and got to the bear, and got to the tree before any of us did. And I said, well, instead of us being mad, we ought to be mad at ourselves to just let that old man, 65 years old, outrun the whole work. I said, I think that's kind of ridiculous. But he could really go. That old man could, and I don't, and I never could look at him and tell by watching him walk how he could do that. But he didn't only could could uh, move for a while, but he could go all day if he had to. So then I went back up there to hunt uh, far and with Fred Arsner lines for a while. I was going to be up there four or five months. And I didn't take old Pilot because he'd been hurt before by bear up there, and I thought maybe I might get him killed. And about a month before I came back, well, I got a letter that really made me sad. Clayola was hunting lions in the Cherry Cow Mountains there and over in this real rough, bluffy canyon, and it's got big rims in it. They call uh, the South Fork of Cave Creek. Was trailing a lion one day, and uh, this lion went into the head of a, into down in some bluffs that was really bad. And that old pilot is one of the best bluff dogs that I'd ever seen go into the bluffs. And anyway, well, Clell saw, saw him over there and saw him go down in this place. And he couldn't get back out. And he was going to try to make a jump and get back out. And Clell was afraid he couldn't make it. And he hollered at him. And pilot stopped. So Clell... Went over there just fast as he could, going to get around there and see if he could help him out. And just as he come up on the bluff, well, he heard a big thump way in the bottom of that bluff, and old pilot had went off. Well, he fell about 300 feet, and Clell knew, of course, that he'd be dead. And so it was so late in the evening then that he couldn't get around there and get under that bluff. So the next morning he went back up there and, come up there and found old pilot all broke up and dead at the 
bottom of this bluff, so that was kind of a overhanging shelf there. This bluff kind of formed a cave, so he went in there and the best he could, well, uh, uh, made a grave and buried poor old pilot right there. And now that was a sad day for all the Lees, because I guess we thought more of him than we ever did a dog before that or since. Well, now you can never tell what a hound will be until you take him into the woods and you give him a, a fair chance to prove what he will be. But I'll tell you one thing, sometimes if you think that that dog has the blood in him and he should make a good one, you don't want to give up on, on him real quick. But what he'll do the, for quite a while, because I have worked them as much as a year, and then had them to make outstanding dogs. So if you don't like a dog, though, well, you don't want to give him. Uh, the average person won't give him that uh, good a chance. But if you do like him, sometimes you will. And I have had them, while well, I had to work them continually, that that has made uh, outstanding dogs and had to work them at least a year before they did, even after they started to work it. So you can't, it's a, it's a hard proposition. And uh, a lot of them is hard to figure out. Well, now you would have to say that old Pilot was born to natural because he never run trash after he was 15 months old. And uh, after he was 15 months old, you could let all kinds of dogs run a deer off from him. And he'd just turn around and come back to you and go on a hunt some other place and not pay any attention to those deer dogs when he knew they was after a deer. Well, now, this is a hunt made for bear in the White Mountains. And this took this bear hunt probably took place in 76, some, I think that is the year, and is in the fall. Now, the, our clients were three men from Kansas City. Now, here was this, the daddy, and he had uh, six boys and one girl, and these two boys were the youngest of the family. And I enjoyed them. Now, they hunted as a family, and they would come and go hunting, and they would bring their pickups and their trailers and campers and everything, and you didn't have to cook and take care of them in camp or anything because they had their families right with them to do it. And, uh, and they were jolly, and they didn't expect you to wait on them. They were up every morning, and they were ready to help saddle up, and they didn't go into the campers and things of an evening until everything was done. And I really did think a lot of them. And they were really good sportsmen. And they enjoyed one another, and they enjoyed Clell Nye, and they enjoyed the hunting. So they come on this bear hunt. So we'd hunted, I think, a day or two and hadn't caught a bear. Well, that day, well, we took quite a pack of hounds, and I had just gotten one crazy son of a gun out of California that was a half pit bull and half hound. And he would, he would fight a bear, 
But uh, he would kill a dog, too. And he did do it, and so, of course, I got rid of him. I was going to kill him, and and it's hard for me to kill a dog, but they finally talked me out of it. It wasn't my, it wasn't uh, it wasn't our hound that he killed, but we had lost one a few days before that after a bear, and we never seen or heard of him again. And this bulldog was in the bunch, and I believe he killed that dog, but we never did know. But we know that he killed this other one, well, of a friend hunter of ours. So anyway, when we hit this running track, he would go with the hounds, and he would trail a jump track. But he wasn't no cold trailer. And he just about had to have something show him the way on the jump track. But anyway, they went over a good high mountain from us and not to, and treed these bear. Now, they treat an old bear and two yearlings. One of these yearlings were small bear, but they they made good little trophies. And there was these three hunters. And uh, when the, we just knew there was after a bear, we didn't know that there was after an old bear and two yearlings when they went out of hearing. Well, we finally topped that mountain and got down on the other side and we heard them. And they wasn't over, oh, about a, a mile from the main road that went up and down uh, through that mountain there, the highway. So we got down there and Boy, they enjoyed shooting. So there was three bear and a bear for each one of them. And you talk about the bullets are flying. Well, when those bear come out of there, each one of them had killed one and he is dead. So we went on and and packed them on down then, right close to the highway. And so we were several miles from the Clell's cabin on that mountain. So he caught a ride in the car and went up and got uh, uh, a pickup and and, uh, and uh, another fella and two well got two pickups and some trailers enough to haul, handle to haul all of our horses and all of our dogs and also the bear. Now they they liked the bear meat and they saved every bit of every bear that they was that they killed and they hunted with us either three or four times bear hunting. And they always got from the least they ever got was two bear on a hunt. So we just throwed these bear down there too, and we tied the dogs and was going to only have to carry the the bear then on down. We didn't want to be right along on the road. So Clell and this other boy come down there with the trucks and trailers and come up there and. Uh, so all right, we're gonna take these bar on down. Well, this uh, Gary Burns, the old man was named Homer, and he's a man close to my age. And then one of these boys is, I think, at that time he is only twenty-two or three years old, and uh, maybe maybe not that old, maybe only twenty. And his brother was just two or three years older. And they were big husky boys. And this Gary was riding my old sorrel mule at Mary. I called him Jeremiah Johnson. And old Jeremiah was sure wouldn't hardly pack a bear. So they tied these two smaller bear together, and they're going to put them up behind the saddle, 
and old Gary was a sitting on this mule, and I said, don't you do that. They said, why? I said, well, that old mule will throw a fit. Oh, Gary said, <clears throat> said, don't you worry. I can ride this old mule easy enough, don't you? I said, put him, put him on there. Well, they, this Bud Walker was a hunter friend of ours, and he is with Clay. And he'd also uh, been with us on the hunt, and he had a, he had a hound or two in the race. And this, uh, this fighting dog was nowhere around. He is gone. We never did find him around there, this half bulldog. So I said, well, throw him on there then. Well, they throwed those. They had these two bear tied together by hind legs, like those. Well, they throwed them, those bar up behind that saddle. And, of course, I'd make them kind of hang down in his flank. And I was looking at old Gary's face when, because I knew what was going to happen. That old mule just took one step, and they kind those bar kind of swung, and he was afraid of a bar scent anyway. And he just snorted and went right straight up. Well, boy, the darndest expression, come on, old Gary, that you ever saw, but I'd put a ring bit on that old mule, and I was a-hollering at old Gary, pull on him, pull on him. And he was really, that old mule was really wiping her up. And what scared me, there was a bunch of young pines there that is about three or four inches across, just quite a bunch of them in there, that had been cut off and the stump stood up about a, a foot over above the ground, maybe a foot and a half. And I was afraid this old mule was going to throw Gary off and he'd hit on one of them stumps, and that could have hurt him. And we just kept a hollering at him while after about the, well, really after the first jump, the bear come off. They wasn't, wasn't even tied on there. And uh, and a few jumps away, he got that old mule stopped. And so I said, come on, let's throw him up on, you guys throw those bear up up on there again so he can pack them over the road. No, Gary said, no, I don't believe he's better. I don't believe old Jerry Meyer likes that. I said, well, I told you in the first place he wouldn't like it. And oh, we all got a big laugh out of that. And then after that, we'd say, Gary, the wild mule rider. And uh, he, that that was funny. And we went on back up to camp then and didn't, and our fighting dog hadn't come into camp either. So late that evening while I was saddling up up there and one of these boys says, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to haul my mule back down there to where we loaded that stuff. And I said, I'm going to go back up to that tree. And I said, I'm going to search all around that tree. And some of these other dogs were tore up by that old bear. And I said, I think I know what happened. I think that old bear come out of that tree and that bulldog just tied on to her and caused it, and one of Bud Walker's dogs hounds us tore up. And I had old Rip with me, that half Iredale and half Blue Tick hound, and he was, was tore up quite a lot. And I figured that when the bear got a hold of this half bulldog, these other two went in and got a hold of the bear, and they got hurt too, and I figured that he caused it. So I said, I'm going to look all around up there and see if I might find him. So just as uh, he said, well, I'd sure love to go with you. I said, well, saddle up right quick then. 
So he started the saddling, and we just leading our mules over to a truck, and Clell had a couple of wetbacks that was camped there working for him. They were building fence. And we seen them come in, and they they had this bulldog with, him, with them. And I saw that he was hurt. Well, we, we took and tied him. And by golly, now he has worked over. He has had his tore up. And I thought for a while that one of his legs was broke. But he could stand on it. And so I said, well, it's not broke, but it's doggone sure badly hurt or sprained or something. And it took that dog quite a, quite a while, possibly a month, before he could ever go again. Well, now that was the end of the Burns bear hunt for that fall. They hunted bear with us several, four or five times. Anyway, there at home, they have, they have 10 or 12 bar mounted. I don't remember how many, but because I've been to their home, and I think those, the old man Burns and those boys are as fine a sportsman as I have ever hunted with. And I enjoyed them just as much as I did anybody that I ever guided. And I really think a lot of them. And uh, they, even one time, they they made a long trip just to see me when I'd been sick for for quite a spell, a couple of years ago. They had been up to Clells and made a hunt, and they made a big swing down through Tucson that was probably four or five hundred miles out of their way to make that to make that trip, and they pulled uh, their trailers and their campers and everything and and parked them right there close to where I was at my sister with my sister and niece recuperating and uh, stayed all one day and one night with us there and they are certainly fine fellows and I certainly think a lot of them.